Welcome to episode 195. Money. Do you find that there is more month at the end of the money than there should be? Maybe you really want to eat the healthy food or buy the weight loss program, but you think it's too expensive and tell yourself, I can't afford that, whilst simultaneously lining up at Apple to buy the latest $1,600 iPhone because got to keep up with the Joneses. Well, guess what? You, me, and most of us picked up terrible money behaviors from our parents before we were seven years old, and that has likely created an entire life of chasing debt payments and struggling to make ends meet all whilst you fail to prioritize your own health and the money that is needed to go towards that health is spent solving whichever problem is the biggest problem this month. I know you don't need me to tell you that this is no way to live and without learning about how to use money, spend it, treat it and respect it, then you'll quite literally never get out of this cycle and your kids and likely everyone you love will suffer. And you know who will suffer the most? You, because you haven't prioritized your own health and wellness for decades due to your money issues. No one wants to spend the last 30 or 40 years of their life slowly descending into pain and suffering because you can't afford to turn your health around. And so on this episode, we have a finance expert that is going to bust through the fluffy money talk that makes no sense to someone that doesn't work in a bank and make sense of your cash in a way that you can begin to make actual financial change in the right direction today. This episode is full of useful tips and I think you'll get a lot out of it. And finally, see how you can create more money at the end of the month. (laughs) So let's get into it. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? I feel like I haven't said that in a few weeks, even though you hear me say it at least once a week. (laughs) I've actually taken a couple of weeks off from interviews due to being a little under the weather recently and generally uninterested in functioning. (laughs) But anyway, we're back uh, and we're off to the races today, another fine Wednesday in the podcast world. So if you're looking to get a hold of your self-sabotage or anything that's been repeating on you for years in regards to trying to make healthy change, but not quite succeeding long term, then you're in the perfect place because in 2022, it's my mission to coach 300 people just like you to get control of your emotional eating so you can lose weight and actually keep it off without counting calories or eating rabbit food because none of that stuff is really that fun and nobody really wants to do it. So let's not do it. (laughs) Now, in a world where petrol prices currently cost $2.31 as of today, I filled up not very much. I didn't fill up very much because it's $2.31 and the living cost has disproportionately increased compared to wages and salaries for the last approximately five decades now, juggling your money and investing financially in your health is becoming increasingly more difficult thanks to the big dogs at the bank, along with a really poor understanding of how to manage your own finances that most of us inherited from our parents. They gave us poor money beliefs and they gave us poor health beliefs, but they didn't know they were doing it. Lucky we're here to change all of that. So on today's episode, I want to introduce you to an unexpected but necessary guest for the show, Mr. Dale Prescott, who is a personal finance and fintech professional. But he's far more than the numbers and spreadsheet guy. He's also a dad, a husband, a dog lover, and an avid believer that everyone should be equipped with the knowledge of financial literacy. 
We all know finance can be a little bit daunting, a little bit confusing, and well, sometimes pretty boring. With so much jargon and fine print, it can often often be hard to know where to start. So Dale aims to break down the complexity and talk in real terms that you and I can understand to improve our lives financially and live the gangster lives we've deserved to be living. You know, minus the murder and drugs. <laughs> so like all legends that appear on this show, he's also got a podcast called The Money and Investing Show where each week he breaks down investing topics and speaks to industry experts to give you insights into becoming better at managing your money. And as a result, invest in the things that really matter like whole real food and wellness and health programs, right? Uh, we want to extend the quality of that life. So... Without further ado, Dale, my friend, how are you? I'm great, Maddie. Thanks for uh, having me on the show. Really pumped to come on and have a chat to your listeners about ways that uh, we can not only improve our lives from from a health aspect, but from a finance aspect too. And I'll um, I'll do my best to keep it interesting uh, and uh, as <laughs> undry as possible. Yeah, thanks, man. It's really refreshing to have uh, an Australian having a conversation with me, you know, at a normal hour, as, as you probably are. I'm often, you know, up super early to get uh, the American guests on. So it's kind of like, oh, here's a comforting accent. <laughs> yes, it can get a bit wearing out too. I do a lot of work with uh, the UK and Europe as well and completely different time zone, almost flip it around. So yeah, I can completely relate. Yeah, totally. Um, it's funny. I was just before we jumped on our call. Um, I was actually messing around. Messing around is probably a bad phrase, but with my <laughs> own finances and investments, um, and just playing around with numbers. But after today, I've been on the phone with a few different. Uh, I'm often on the phone with women, mothers, and occasionally the odd fella about their health and really getting you know quite deep about significant problems in their lives and things that they want to change, uh, you know things that have been going for literally decades. And we have that conversation and acknowledge and realize that you know we've got to change our life. And like many businesses, we inevitably get to that conversation about how much it costs. Um, and then at that point is obviously when the people that don't go forward, withdraw. It's almost exclusively the reason people don't move forward with their health. Now, there's, you know, there's a number of reasons that that could be. But I wonder, um, like, you know, I sort of asked them as well, like, what do you mean you can't afford to add years to your life, you know? And in the grand scheme of things, it's not really that expensive. So, the thing that I wanted to ask you was, what has been happening in most people's lives that they get to a point in their 40s, 50s, 60s that they can't afford to pay for things that are actually really good for them, especially in a country like Australia? I, yeah, it's, it's a great question, Maddie. And I think there's probably two parts to that answer, right? And there's some people that, that flat out can't afford it and, and that's due to financial situations and, and money's tight and all of those pieces. And then the other piece is where people find value in these things. And I, I find... Finance and health are, are two very similar sort of topics in a lot of ways. People know that they need to be healthy. They know that they need to be financially smart with their money, yet knowing it and doing it are two completely different things. And so yeah. it's, uh, you know, people tend to, I, I always find with health, just like finance, they, they put it off and put it off and put it off until it's too late and then they have to make that decision. And all of a sudden, when you get to that point, the money then becomes less relevant, doesn't it? Because you're now faced with it, well, I have to do this decision. And so it's time to spend the money and do it. And so I think a lot like yourself that we're better off investing that money earlier in ourselves, either through our health or through our education and, and through our, our finances to ensure that we can live those longer, healthier lives as we grow older. And and we can live, I suppose, more carefree or not carefree, but 
but financially independent and not needing to rely on different incomes as we get into those later stages of life where it becomes more important for us, just like our health. We want to get to old age living healthy. Uh, A stat that that you mentioned to me is that people spend, uh, I think, 90% of their wealth um, in their final year of their life working out trying to get themselves healthy. And so a lot of those kind of things, it's, it's really about how do we plan for the future without making it sound so boring as plan for the future. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's shocking how much money we spend in that final year of our life trying to save our life. And inevitably, as the stats suggest, it's the final year of your life. So it's like, it doesn't matter how much you could throw 100% at it, it's highly unlikely to actually change the outcome in that 12-month period. So yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's probably got a lot to do with this world we've created where everybody gets everything yesterday. I saw, a, I might have mentioned it on the show before, but I saw, I think it was Ronnie Cheng, you know, the comedian. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a bit on Amazon and how the next step for Amazon in America is literally feeding you. Like they, they bring everything to, to your door in, in the fastest time possibly. The next step is literally eating for you basically. And so it's really hard when like, just like health, saving money and you know investing is like it's a multiple year focus you know it's and it takes a, a, a an amount of time that you set aside to learn the skills to get no no outcome for years it's so unmotivating when it comes to money how do you how do you advise people to navigate that like sit down, learn, do the work because in 10 years, it'll be better. (laughs) Yeah, it's a great question. And I think to to your point about the Amazon piece, you know, that instant gratification is one of the hardest things that we ever have to overcome. We're just in this world of we want things now, give it to me now. And, and, you know, the the way the finance system set up between credit cards and everything else, buy now, pay later, it's just so easy to obtain these things and get that dopamine hit of gratification whenever we do these things. And so with with finances, it's it's a tricky one because it's something that if I told you, Maddie, that you need a plan for 65 or 70, you'd look at me and your eyes start to glaze over. And <laughs> I think it's really about developing and, and thinking about that financial independence piece because a lot of people tend to work jobs that they don't really like or they'd love to be off doing other things. And the reality is until you re- achieve that kind of financial independence, you're unable to do that. And so it could be starting to set things like small goals. You might want to go on a holiday next year. And so you know that you need to save some money. And so you might start to build some habits that way. Or you might just want to uh, pay for an educational course that's not hex funded or anything like that and so you know that you want to do those and so you start to set these small goals and wins to get you to those places but i think the the big realization comes and uh, not everyone thinks like me but if you look out to what you actually need when it comes to retirement the average stats at the moment is that the average couple needs six hundred and forty thousand dollars just to retire comfortably and i would argue that that comfortably is not very comfortable at all that's almost at the poverty line so you need closer to about a million dollars at retirement to be able to live reasonably comfortably to put this that's a lot to put a bit of that in perspective if you take a a general rule of thumb is you take four percent of your total investment assets and that's what you could live off each year so if you're someone that needs call it fifty thousand dollars a year to live off you would need $1.25 million in the bank or in assets to be able to live off for the remainder of your years when you're not working. So when you start to put that into perspective and people look at their super accounts and things like that, you really need to start to weigh that up and think about where you want to be. Completely understand that 65, it's just so far away for a lot of people and you think, oh, super, I'll deal with it or I'll worry about it when I get there. But you may not want to work to your 65. 
you might want to work. Fair to, enough. <laughs> you might want to work to your fifty, and then go off and and live a good life, eating, you know, running your own farm and living off the land and all those pieces. But it's about understanding your your goals and your why. You, you probably talk on this show a lot about your why and why you want to be healthy. It's the same mm-hmm. piece with with health. You might want to get to a certain age and do a certain thing, and unfortunately, money is the driver for those pieces. And and so planning about it and thinking about where you want to be will help sort of define what you need to know to get there. That's, I, I'm imagining everybody listening is like thinking 1.25 million in the bank. It's a like, big number. I couldn't, I couldn't possibly ever imagine that kind of money that wasn't the bank's money that I got just before I paid for a big house. Um, do you think that a, a contributing factor to the situations that many people find them in, and I'm not sure what the current stats are, but you can correct me, but I remember when I was looking into um, trying, because I'm young, trying to be as risky as possible with my super since I can't pull it out, um, I, I kind of just thought I'm going to put it in the highest risk category that I possibly can and just see what happens. Um, but I remember reading that it's like two of three Australians retire into poverty. Um, and do you think that a part of that is like a keeping up with the Joneses, Joneses throughout their life, like getting the house because I guess I'm at that age where I should get a house and having the kids because I guess my brother did it and all my friends are doing it and so I guess I should just take all of these steps, which economically may not actually make any sense at all. Uh, absolutely. And it, it's interesting here, but uh, I did an interview with a, a, an investing, a children's investing expert. And so one of the stats that came out of that is that most of us develop nearly all of our money habits by age seven, which is just mm. mind blowing to think that, you know, at seven, we barely have a concept of money, but we're watching what our parents do. And so if our parents are constantly just putting things on credit cards and getting the latest things without even realizing we're ingraining that into our children and what they see and do as their future. And so mm-hmm. from that, you know, one of the biggest traps that we could all fall into is consumer debt. So things that, you know, we don't necessarily need, but we're buying anyway on credit. And so that could yeah. be a pair of jeans, it could be a car, it could be a holiday. The more often that we do those things though, we're kind of trapping ourselves in this never-ending snowball of, of debt that we're trying to pay back rather than getting ourselves ahead. And so yeah. uh, one of the biggest things you can do if if you find yourself in that bracket is, you know, and and if you do find yourself in that bracket, it's always best to go and speak to someone. But the best thing you want to do is get out of debt first. So look at all your debt, consolidate what you have and what you owe. Now, I'm not talking about, we'll call it good debt and let's say that's a home loan um, or educational debt. Those things are kind of class as good debt because they're improving your life in some way. But more those, yeah. um, you know, bad debts, credit card debts, holiday debts, just things that we, we, what you just mentioned, you've gone and bought because you want to keep up with the Joneses. And so one of the first steps we can do to sort of that reach that financial independence or that, that sort of living a bit more free is to help clear out some of those debts because that then allows us to plan for our futures a little bit more responsibly or in, in a better way. And so the, the average consumer debt that we have in this country is almost four grand. It's like 3,800 something. And so for most people that are carrying that debt, it's really important to 
consolidate what you've got and think about how you sort of group that together. I always like to use a method that um, I think it's been coined by Dave Ramsey called snowballing, but I could be wrong who who started that piece. But it's essentially about paying off the, the smallest debts first. And it sounds counterintuitive mm. because the maths will tell you that if you have debt, pay off the larger debt first because that's where you're paying the most interest. But this kind of works more to like a behavioral psychology piece where seeing those little wins as you pay down debt will help you gain momentum and gain traction because you're starting to realize that this works. And so you're starting to have these little wins and these little little victories. And so it, it keeps you moving and keeps you motivated to, to get onto the next one. And so I suppose getting out of debt is the first step to every piece when you talk about sort of building this financial, I call it financially fit. So it probably works pretty well for your show about how to get financially yeah. fit. Getting out of debt is that first step. If you think about getting fit in real life, it might be, you know, getting your gym membership or or going out and getting your runners or buying your healthy food first. That The first step in financially fit is to get yourself out of debt or make sure there's none of that consumer debt floating around. How, do, how would people identify whether they do or don't have bad money beliefs or behaviors? And I say that because I know a lot of people that have been through my own programs and didn't realize that they were actually an emotional eater and that was the problem that they've had for 35 years until they went through the process of, of me basically bringing it into their awareness. So, like, how, can people do, like, a couple of things to, like, do a bit of an audit whilst they're listening to this podcast to be like... Do I have helpful money beliefs or not? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I suppose um, that's a really good question. If you've got debt, that's probably a, and a lot of consumer debt. Again, I separate the the two debts. So I think hex debt and and property debt's probably decent debt because it's better in yourself. But that consumer piece, mm-hmm. if you find that you're struggling you know, week to week living paycheck to paycheck. There's no sort of money set aside for emergencies and things like that. You probably fall into the category that needs a little bit of help. If you're mm-hmm. someone that has some savings and isn't quite sure where to start, you know that they're better spent elsewhere. That's also a bit of a prompt to say, hey, maybe I should go and talk to someone about what I do next or, or look into investing. Uh, the, in- the inflation rates at the moment, they're about 6% and the bank will give you about a quarter of a percent in payments in in interest back. So at the moment, just keeping your money in the bank, you're going to lose money just by letting it inflate away. And so Mm -hmm. I I think the next step for you, if you're someone that has a little bit of savings, it's about how do I invest that money and put that money to work for you rather than, you know, it just sitting there in the bank doing not much. Yeah, that's, that's what, as you're talking there, it reminded me when I kind of went on my, you know, learning about money and realizing that I just had terrible belief systems and, you know, and my, my parents weren't the kind of parents that chucked everything on credit cards, um, you know, but standard Aussie family, you know, and so I realized myself, um, in sometime in my twenties, I was like, Oh my God. All that's going to change in my life if I don't find another way to earn money is that I'm just going to get bigger debt and my income's not really going to go up too much. And and so I started learning about money and I'm not sure where this sits with you, but um, I ran into a few people that were like, everybody says, stop buying your $3 latte or now it's like a $7 latte in Australia. And that, you know, saving your dollars or your cents a little bit here and there never really amounts to much. So instead, you should figure out how to, like you're saying there, invest or find alternative ways to earn money because the idea of saving on a limited budget anyway is really just going to give you a, a really small pile of money in the long term. Absolutely. And so money should always be working for you and that's money that I suppose you don't need in the short term. So I always like to break your money into a couple of different buckets and you think about you've got money that comes in, you've got your expenses and what you need to live, your day-to-day 
keep your rent or your mortgage over your house and your electricity and water bills and all those kind of things. You've got that money. You've got, Mm -hmm. uh, I always recommend that people have an emergency fund. It's just a a part of getting financially fit is having an emergency fund. And so that looks different for every person. But the typical rule of thumb is sort of three to six months worth of your total spending. So if you spend call it $5,000 a month, you need about 15,000 set aside as a minimum, just in case some emergencies pop up. Um, Funny story Mm -hmm. to that. I I talk about this all the time, but I have an emergency fund. My dog slipped a disc in his back earlier in the year. I don't know how too many people um, know what that cost, but he had to go in for an MRI and spent four nights in hospital, seven grand that cost all up. And so health insurance covers none of that because, or pet insurance covers none of that because it's part of the exclusions list. And so I've had to dip into the emergency fund to be able to get that. And so people can say, oh, you, why would you spend 7000 on your dog and all those things? But for me, he's part of the family and it was a no-brainer. But yeah. the, the having that emergency fund made it really accessible for me to be able to go, hey, this isn't even a decision. I need to get my dog sorted. There we go. Mm-hmm. Off I go. And so an emergency fund is sort of that step two in getting financially fit. So making sure that you don't have any debt that you're paying interest on. And then the next step is really, all right, how do I make sure that I'm covered for any emergencies and things like that? There is also Mm -hmm. things like insurances and all that, but we won't get into this because that gets really dry and boring. But the next step is obviously (laughs) looking into insurances, life insurance, income protection, all of those kind of pieces, which can actually be done through your super. Um, Mm -hmm. I've done some episodes on that. If people did want to get more into the weeds on that, head over. I I just don't want to bore everyone to death with insurance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I reckon, recommend everybody heads over to your podcast and, and learns everything they can because just like, I guess, my show and health is, um, and we've kind of touched on it, but this stuff doesn't happen overnight. It's not one of those things where you just learn it and it's like, oh, well, I'll apply it next week. You've got to apply it every day a little bit in order to accumulate the positive outcome in the you know years to come. Yeah. In the finance world, we call that compounding, but I feel like compounding applies to every aspect of life it applies to healthy eating the more you add healthy eating the effects compound you get healthier over time the more you exercise the effects compound your body changes and grows and the same with finance so compounding basically refers to interest earning interest and so to to put that in perspective if you've got ten thousand dollars invested somewhere and let's say it's earning ten percent over one year earning ten percent you'll end up with eleven thousand dollars thousand dollars of interest 10,000 from your initial start. The next year, you leave that there, that all compounds. You end up with another 1,100 in interest paid out to you because you're getting 10% on not only your interest, but your initial 10,000 as well. And so compounding over a long period of time sees that number snowball and snowball. And that's kind of how things like your superannuation and investment accounts work. It's all about putting money away to earn interest on that interest. And generally speaking, you don't notice those effects within the first couple of years. So it's a real long-term game and that's probably what makes it so hard. The The true effects of investing and, and compounding, they're really not evident for 10, 20, 30 years. Um, mm-hmm. and, and to put a really tangible example to that, and um, anyone can go and look at this, Vanguard do something called their 30-year index chart, which just checks stock markets around the world. But if you'd put $10,000 into the Australian share market uh, 30 years ago, that compounded at about 8% annually for the last 30 years. And so you end up with something like $160,000 without ever having to touch it or do anything like that. So you can really see the effects of what compounding can do. And so if you start to think about that 1.25 number that I threw out earlier, the 1.25 million, if you're regularly investing and putting money away, that gradually 
grows and compounds over time and that number becomes less daunting. It's just such a large number at the start when you first hear it. Yeah, <laughs> totally. As you're talking there, I'm thinking, this is better than health actually. You can just forget about it and it'll grow on its own. I wish I could do that with going to the gym. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And, and, and that, that's the reality of it. So the, the hardest part about investing and finance is that it's boring, right? It is just not interesting. The, the key to most of it is to put your money away and not look at it for 30 years. And it's just so hard because people want to look at it and they want to see it growing. And a, a lot of people, when they first open investment accounts, you know, they're checking it daily or three or four times a day. And, and the reality is nothing happens in a day. Nothing happens in a year. You've got to wait years for this thing to grow. And uh, there's a there's a really great quote that I like. Um, I think it was by Warren Buffett, but it, it goes, someone sitting in the shade today because they planted a tree a long time ago. And that's essentially the beauty of compounding, right? They're taking advantage of this beautiful tree because someone planted it so much longer ago. And that's sort of how you need to look at, I suppose, your future when you think about money. You're planting a tree for your future self. Well, it's interesting you say that because obviously, you know, being in such a privileged country, we obviously over, you know, the entirety of my life and even before that and well into the future, we have a lot of people immigrate to Australia because of the luxury and the privilege that we've got. And something that I've really noticed because I grew up in the country but and moving to the city and having uh, friends from different backgrounds and cultures is that what I noticed is that to me, my experience and the people that I've connected with is that us white Aussies that grew up here really don't have a concept of generational wealth and and planting a tree for our kids to be in the shade of. Whereas a lot of my Chinese friends, Sri Lankan friends, they really have an idea of like my dad worked or my mum worked to create what I've got. Now I have to hustle to create for the future. Do you think like from your experience, is that missing from our money mentality when it comes to thinking about that the funds for my family, you know, two two or three generations down the path rather than where are we going out for dinner next Friday night? <laughs> I think it's definitely something that was missed in our parents' generation. And I, I mean, I, I, that's a pretty generalized statement because there's definitely parents that, that went through that path. But a lot of the people that I talk to today, as, especially people kind of around our age, the starting families and, and having children and all of that, they're all thinking about how they invest for their children. I think one of the, mm-hmm. the biggest topics I get asked is, is how do I invest for my child or, or how do I teach them, you know, good money habits so that when they grow up, they're going to be better off than when I fought it sort of first you know, turned 18 or anything like that. And so there's a couple of different ways that we can do that. But I think the biggest thing is just talking to our children about those money concepts from an early age, helping them to understand what money is and what it does. A a really good analogy um, I heard from from someone when I was interviewing Will, Will, the the children's book author, he takes his daughter to McDonald's and he'll, he'll sit down with her and explain that people going into McDonald's, they're spending their money. If you're an investor in McDonald's, you're actually receiving a portion of that money that they're spending there. And so which would you rather be doing in the long run? And that's not saying you can't eat, uh, you probably shouldn't eat McDonald's ever, but let's just say you (laughs) want to eat some McDonald's from time to time. Um, It's just a really good way to conceptualize it, right? Companies exist to make profits. We can either Mm -hmm. choose to invest in those companies and share in those profits or we can just give them our money and those profits get paid out to someone else because that's kind of how capitalism works. And so mm-hmm. investing is all about putting your money to work to get a return where you don't necessarily need to do that work. And it's all about investing in 
call it the smartest minds in, in the company, in, in the world. You could have invested in Apple. Um, you could invest in Microsoft. Or, you know, the things I really like is it, you can invest in things that you like and know. So you've got a lot of people on this show interested in their health. You you might see that plant-based meat is the thing of the future and you want to invest in V2 foods or, um, you know, uh, impossible meats and, and those kind of things. And and so you can actually invest in a lot of things that you see as the future yourself just based on what you're seeing and doing and noticing around the place and be part of that mission. There's a lot of people that like to invest in in ethical companies and, and ethical means different things for everyone, but it gives you that opportunity to be able to invest in things that you might have a passion for, but at the same time, you're putting your money to work so that you can get a return on those passions. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below. Yeah, I love that. I'm a big fan of voting with your dollar because it's it's one thing to have an opinion on social media or, or think some thoughts, but those thoughts that aren't put into tangible reality are basically irrelevant. So I think, yeah, voting with your dollar and, and the same with our kids. It's like, um, you know, there's lots of things we can tell them. And I speak to a lot of mothers that are like part of what they want to change with their own health is that I feel like a fraud because I tell them to eat vegetables or make <laughs> them eat veggies. And then as soon as they're gone to bed, I'm doing all the things I told them not to do. And it's probably the same with money, right? It's like the best thing you can do as a parent is embody good money behavior. Absolutely. And and look, we're all guilty. Uh, my daughter goes to bed at seven and so I'll probably have something from time to time that I don't want her eating. But at the, the reality is we're all human. And so uh, a, yeah. bit, a bit like food and a bit like money, you, you can't treat your money so tightly held that you just don't ever want to spend it. And you mentioned your lattes earlier and the $3 or the $7. I don't know where you're getting a $3 latte from anymore, mate, but um, <laughs> I, I don't drink coffee. So I'm obviously rich, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, at the end of the day, that's just kind of like a, 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 something that's been conceptualized by someone in the media to say, Hey, this is why people can't save any money. Because at the end of the day, if a coffee makes you happy, why would you not go and buy that coffee? and just spend the $3 or the $5 or, or whatever it is that a coffee costs these days. And I'm a big believer when it comes to managing your money. And 
I, I talk about budgets more in a sense of like a, a cash flow plan or, or planning out how you're going to spend rather than just a, a budget. And when people think about budgeting, it's not about just cutting everything out. It's about what makes you happy. Do you like to eat healthy foods? Then budget for those things. Do you like to go out once a week to, to see your mates and spend some money there, either having a beer or, you know, go into a, a healthy food place or, or wherever it is you like to go. But when you start to think about where people often fall off the wagon when it comes to money and, and budgeting and those kind of pieces, they think it's kind of like an all or nothing scenario. And so mm-hmm. I always like to say that when you're setting aside a budget, you, you need to think about it in a couple of different ways. And again, I, I hate the word budget because it kind of infers this boring controlling document, <laughs> right? But it's essentially just something yeah. that occurred in the past. And what I always encourage people to do when you're thinking about how do I become better with the money, with, with my money, it's Go back through your bank statements. Everything's recorded these days because we pay cash for, for virtually nothing. You can then go through and categorize all your stuff into you know discretionary spending, essential spending, bills, all those kind of pieces. Go through all that. Uh, you know, depending on how good you are with Excel, that's easier to do than others. But go through all that and start to look at what it actually costs you to live. And then mm-hmm. you, most people are just blown away by the amount they just blow on random stuff that they didn't even know yeah. they were really spending until they go back to it. And so this, I suppose, is step one or step three, sorry, because we're kind of gone through a couple of phases. But you really want to know what you're actually spending your money on and then think about it in reverse to your goals. So if we know we want to save for a holiday and you know you might want to save $5,000 and you want to save, call it $500 a month or whatever it is, plan with that in mind and say, all right, so I know I've got all my essential spend here and that might make up 50% of my budget. I know that I've got some food that might make up 20% and there's this 30% left over. And for me to get to $500, that might be 20% of that. And so there's only 10% left for me to go and have my coffees and all those kind of pieces. But the more Mm -hmm. we can put it into perspective of a goal, it helps us to kind of visualize what we're trying to do. A bit like when you're trying to eat healthy, what's my goal? What am I trying to do? I'm trying to, to not get sick or I'm trying to lose a few kilos. The same with this. I'm trying to go on holidays or I want to do this. And that kind of helps us to visualize. But I always like to think about if you take your money out first, obviously make sure you've got all your essential spending, like your your rent or your mortgage first, but take those things out first and then pay yourself. So Mm -hmm. have a set amount in mind that you just take out. And some people need to do that through separate bank accounts or through you know, transferring money elsewhere and all those kind of pieces so it's out of sight. However you want to do that, one of the most important things you can do is save that money first and put it out of sight and then live within that remainder. The more frequently you can do that, you'll be amazed how much that becomes then second nature to how you do things. Yeah, I used to do it um, when I had a job. Um, I'm I'm unemployed right now. That's an interesting way to put it. I'm self-employed. self-employed. That's more empowering. Yeah, you run a business. <laughs> <laughs> I do, I do. But what I used to get, um, my, and my parents taught me this from the teenager. So I had my first job at 14 and nine months at the reject shop uh, in the country. And from day one, my parents got me to divide like my pay up, but through work. So I didn't actually have to have the responsibility for sending a portion to a totally different bank. Um, and so I've done that my entire life. The difference is now that I actually have to do that and I see the money go into that savings account and I wish somebody else could do it because I want to pretend like I don't know that it's there. But there's actually a lot of ways that you can automate it through the bank, 
through your employer. Um, and yeah, just as you said, really rapidly, you get used to the fact that, oh, this is the amount that appears in my card account that I can view on my phone every day. And those other savings accounts, I don't have the apps on my phone. I don't have the passwords saved in my password manager, like they're written down in a book somewhere purposely to put all these barriers to entry. And so I just, I actually don't even really know how much I've got in savings right now, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. And and that's perfect, right? And so that's that's taking it one step. And then the next step is about, all right, well, I've got that in savings. Now, what do I do with that money so that it earns more than the whatever it is that's in the bank? And so really good point though. A lot of people tend to, if I can see it, I spend it. So take it out yeah. of sight, put it out of sight, out of mind. It, it really helps you to build up that, um, I, I suppose, good habit without ever realizing that you're doing it. And then the next step is, as I said, is start to look at ways that you can invest that. And there's multiple different ways that we can invest it. It doesn't necessarily mean invest through the share market. It could be you might be saving to to buy a house. I think it's, you know, every Australian wants to do that at some point, although house prices are getting more and more affordable by the day. You might want to be <laughs> investing in crypto or, or something a little bit more obscure. I, I know a guy that invests in Pokemon cards. And so it's crazy. Yeah, he, right. he buys Pokemon cards, puts them up online and sells them off again. And so there's, there's heaps of different ways that we can invest. It's just about making sure that we've got a bit of a plan and a bit of an action in place so that we then go ahead and execute on that so that the money starts to grow. Most people will say, hey, investing, it's not for me. It's a little bit scary, all of those kind of things. There, there is heaps of different options that are available out there for people in, in ways that they can do it. There's things like micro-investing apps these days. So think of the things like Raise or Spaceship that, that kind of just connect to your bank account and they raise up, they round up your money as you spend it or you can direct debit money in there each month and, and they invest on I've your... I've used Raise for years. Yeah, it's a great platform. And, and they basically just invest on your behalf. You pick a risk profile like you said earlier, you might want to be high risk or medium risk or low risk. And all that really means is the amount of shares versus bonds versus cash that they invest in. But essentially, it allows you to have a little bit of control and you can see that money start to grow over years. And, you know, 50 cents here and 50 cents there, it adds up really quickly. It really does. I Like I signed up for Raise basically when it first came out. Um, and again, it's another one of those things that's automated. You don't see it unless you're in the app every day, which I was in the beginning and then I deleted the app. And then I f- just forgot about it. And literally years later, I was like, oh, yeah. Mm. And I logged in and I was like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it's amazing. I, all of this money is in there. <laughs> yeah. And and what a lot of people don't realize when we talk through this, the ultimate form of micro-investing or, or what's known as dollar-cost averaging is your super. And everyone kind of doesn't think about it as their own money because it's just something that you know, has been put in there by someone. But that's exactly how super works. The money goes in, we pick a risk profile of what we want to do. And that either means they invest in a lot of shares, they invest in bonds and property or infrastructure, or just, you know, leave it in cash. But ultimately, we are all investors and and we're doing it through our super. And so another one that people really need to pay attention to is that superannuation system. And again, it's super boring. I'll, I'll do my best to kind of speed it up. But <laughs> um, the, the more we can add to our super, the more it's that sort of forced savings that we don't think about. And there's a lot of tax mm-hmm. advantages to contributing additional funds to your super. So you can contribute, I think, $27,500 per year into your super, including what your employer already does. And that comes mm-hmm. off your pre-tax income. So you can actually lower your overall income by putting money into your superannuation, letting it work yeah. at a lower tax rate than it would 
if it was brought to you. And, yeah, and right. then I suppose, uh, and again, let's say just for simplicity's sake, you, your employee might put $10,000 into your superannuation or if they were to give it to you, would you go and invest that money? So think about ways that you could add that super into that account to help you grow for that future future you. I'm someone personally that likes to kind of take control of the investments myself and, and see where they're going and, and put those things in. But for people that think they need that self-control, superannuation is the a great vehicle for that as is things like raise and those micro investing apps yeah no i love all of those suggestions and i guess sort of touching on where we started is that you know as we get older if we're not investing in our health then having accessible finances to be able to support all of the situations that unfold and most of the people that i end up working with are in their 40s 50s 60s even 70s because they're at a point in life where they've neglected their health and so making sure that you've got funds available to turn the ship around and i say ship because <laughs> as we've touched on it doesn't happen overnight you've got to really take a bit of time to turn it around but having finances available to do that and not have to go into debt to you know further debt to turn your health around and then at the end of it all you're just like amazing i'm 65 years old and i've got more debt than i could ever pay off for my living years that remain that's just more stress and thinking about you know we just don't want to create a life towards the end of our life where we're thinking about those things i think all of these things have got so much utility and something that i do which i think is really useful is i have maddie's money hour on mondays Mm -hmm. um and so every week it's in the calendar it happens um and sometimes i do it with friends uh you know to make myself accountable so that it's like it's just a normal thing and that that also normalizes talking about your finances as well. I think a lot of people are embarrassed or ashamed at the, the debt they've got uh, and, and, and the credit cards they've got and the behaviors that they've got. And so I think starting to normalize that, not to necessarily give permission to, to behave that way in the future, but more to be like, hey, we're all kind of struggling. How about we figure it out together and keep each other accountable? And, and I think when you set it aside and, and I literally put on music um, from when I was like 14 because that's the kind of music that triggers memories for me where I thought I was going to take over the world and didn't <laughs> care about anything just to tr- get myself in a really good headspace. Um, and I think, yeah, doing that weekly check-in and audit really just keeps me aware. And you pick up, if you, if you start doing it, you'll be like, I didn't know I was paying for this for the last three years. And you just find these random things that you've been paying for for ages that are just sucking your money. Absolutely. It, it's such a important tip that you just gave out then normalizing this journey and and money i think for our parents was seen as taboo and this is starting to become a lot more sort of normalized but the more we can talk with our friends and our family about some of these topics we grow and learn Mm -hmm. from each other there might be something you don't understand and you chat with your friends and oh oh, he gets that okay i understand that or she understands that and I, i work with her and the more we talk about these things it normalizes it but it helps you understand them better and you can work to kind of a shared goal. My friends yeah. and I, this will sound a bit a bit geeky, but my friends and I do a monthly call where um, we just talk about different investments and then at the end of that uh, session, we go and invest some of our money in the company that we all pick as the winner of the three that we talked about. And so we just have this little fund that's going on and there's not a lot of money in it. It's more just for a learning experience, but we all sit there and talk about these things with each other and it I've learned so much just from doing these little conversations, just about different things that people talk about. And the other part that I really liked about what you just said is is sit down and, and have a, a session. And so my wife and I, we sit down once a month and, and do the exact same thing as you. We go through some of those money things, what have we spent, how are we tracking towards our goals and all those kind of pieces. One of the best things you can do 
especially if you're in a relationship and and not for ones that have only been you know a month in but sit down and talk with your significant other about different ways and and your goals for money and you'll be amazed mm-hmm. like you know uh, one of the things most couples fight about i think the most the highest ranked one is money and so the more mm-hmm. you guys can sit down and align with each other on your goals and how you're going to get to those goals it helps create like this you know, accountability system where you're keeping each other accountable and both working towards a shared goal. So I really love both of those things that you just mentioned then, Matty. Yeah, I think I think if there's anything I've learned, it's basically all the things that are taboo need to be normalized because they're ruining our, ruining our lives, whether it be men talking about emotions, whether it be money, whether it be, you know, difficult relationship things, sex, all that stuff needs to be normalized and we'll all live much less stressful lives. <laughs> yeah, and, and a bit like the food industry, the, the finance industry is kept complicated for a reason. It's to stop mm. people doing it themselves or needing professional advice and, and the health industry works the exact same way. But, you know, the the reason these things are, are made so complex is to try and stop, uh, one's to protect people, obviously, but then the other part is to to make it so that you need advice and you need people to to show you the way. And so the more we talk about these things and, and make it really open and accessible to people, the better everyone's knowledge becomes. I think one mm-hmm. of my biggest passions i suppose i've got a few passions in in life finance one of them health another one which is why i love your show and then it's really about education the more people can invest in their education be it through food be it through fitness be it through money or or anything else that you're passionate about that's the ultimate investment the the more Mm -hmm. you can invest in your knowledge and your growth the better that that will pay off in the long run and I, i think that's probably one of the most important things for people to invest in yeah, oh, I'm so on the same page and and I think this is such a useful conversation because I think one of the interesting things about audio books and, and podcasts is that people that can be introduced to these topics kind of in private, they don't have to sit sit on the train with a book that's like self-help because I messed up, you know what I mean? It's like you can kind of hear us talk about these conversations and start to normalize it in your world and maybe build the courage to talk to your partner about it or anyone in your world about it. So I think I think this has got so much utility and especially in a health world because obviously we hear all the time like, oh, I'd eat healthy if I could afford to. Um, and increasingly what I've found is that if we fix people's diets and the culture at home, is that they actually end up spending less money on higher quality food because they're not going for snacks because they don't need them. And so, so there's these, these myths that exist around the cost of being a healthy person versus the cost of, you know, being your average Australian, so to speak. And, and, and I think all these conversations are necessary on both sides of the spectrum to understand that, oh, it's just a set of belief systems that I hold and I can show up to my money, to my health, to my family, to my partner in a totally different way and I've just got to start using the tools that are available. It's all mindset, right? And and I love what you just mentioned then because the the conception the the perception is that, you know, healthy foods are more expensive, but it's often because you're buying it all in sort of loose pieces. And I mean, at the moment, lettuce is about 11 bucks a kilo. So some things are a bit <laughs> expensive, but that that will normalize. But, you know, if you're buying a lot of items to make one meal, yeah, it might seem a bit more expensive, but it typically makes a lot more food that you might eat the next day. Or, you know, I, I find mm-hmm. that whenever we cook meals here, it usually lasts two days or we'll take it for lunch the next day. And so all of a sudden you're taking that for lunch, you're not spending $20 on lunch. And uh, it, yeah. it, it absolutely, when you start to think about cooking foods and, and eating healthy, it absolutely stacks up in the favor of saving money. 
But to look at, you know, the cost of a lettuce versus the cost of a Big Mac, you kind of go, hang on, uh, <laughs> it just doesn't make sense. But the reality is, mm-hmm. you know, if you're eating healthier, better foods, you're probably going to stay fuller for longer, but it's also going to, exactly. uh, you know, uh, you'll find that it makes a lot more of the food as well and you're not as hungry later on. Yeah, uh, that's bang on. And I think that's a that's a piece that gets missed in that conversation is satiation and actually feeling full and not needing to go looking for your afternoon tea or your morning tea or, you know, whatever it is to fill the gap. Um, and like you said, so, yeah, these days lunch at work is like 20 bucks a pop, you know, on a good day. And then if you add a drink in there and, and do different things. So it, and it just comes back to the way that we look at it. It's like, as you're talking there, I thought it's kind of like shopping at Costco or, you know, you, you spend a lot once but you're not back there for a month. Yep. Do you know what I mean? And it's the same with um, buying, going to the farmer's market. It's like even sometimes I feel like that. I'm like, oh, spent a bit of cash today. Um, but then I, then a, a week or two later, I'm like, oh, I haven't been to the supermarket for ages. Like, So it's just, it's just a different approach to spending, right? Absolutely. And so one of the best things you can do is you know, take, your, take your food to work and make sure you're doing all those things because it, it ensures that you're not only eating healthier, but you're saving some money there. And, and then the other part to that is add those things into that budget or that cash flow plan that I spoke about earlier. If you know that you like to eat organic meats and organic foods and all of those kind of pieces and, and you might want to add those to your budget. So when you think about how you sort of plan out your week or your, your months in, in terms of a money sense and you know that that food piece is really important to you, just plan for that to be part of it and then you'll be amazed how much other stuff falls into line when you do that. Mm-hmm. Love it, man. I think this is such a a necessary conversation. So thanks so much for coming on and chatting about this. I think a lot of, uh, you know, families, parents, people listening are going to be like, oh, this, I see how this ties into my health now. And especially in those later years in life that we're all sort of trundling towards endlessly. Um, but before we wrap up, where can everyone find your show, all of your stuff online? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you can find my show on the money and investing show. It's on everywhere you get, um, any podcast. There's a whole range of topics. Uh, if you go back to the very start, I'll take you through sort of how to get started in into investing, all the necessary steps from, you know, finding a broker to making trades to valuing companies and to building a thesis out. We didn't go into a lot of that stuff today because it, it is probably, you, you want to be focused on it. I have done a, a, an ebook as well that takes you through that exact same stuff. It's it's free to download. You just got to pop in your email. I'll give Maddie the link. Um, it's on the website. If anyone wants to check it out, it's www.capitalmediagrp.com p.com forward slash tmis and that'll take you through you can click on the ebook link and and download that and that'll sort of give you a really good understanding of how to actually get into investing and all those sort of steps that i took you through earlier uh and we're on facebook at money and investing show Awesome. I'll put um, all the links down in the show notes for everybody to check out. And if you've enjoyed this episode or you know somebody that needs to hear it, be sure to share it with them. Take a screenshot, pop it up in your social media, give us all a tag. We'd like to see who's watching. Um, And I guess to conclude... What is one piece of health information? And this could be money health. We can relate it. We can we can bend the rules a little. <laughs> but what's one piece of health information that you wish more people knew about? Uh, I think it's with everything. Just get started. Um, you know, we know healthy food's good for us. We know exercise is good for us. We know money's good for us or not good for us, but we know that we need it, right? And so get started on all those habits i think you know my favorite book is uh, atomic habits by james clear and he talks about you know doing one percent better every day makes you 37 times better by the end of the year and so for me it's just get started get into it you know we might make some mistakes along the way but as long as we're starting and learning along that journey that's the best way you can go 
Love it, man. Thanks so much for being on the show, dude. I really hope that we can catch up again soon. Loved it. Thanks for having me on, Matty. No worries. We'll chat soon. See you, Dale. Thanks for listening to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. If you love this episode and health information is your thing, then please consider subscribing to the show. And when you're done, head over to iTunes, Google Podcast, or whichever app you use. And we'd be grateful if you could leave us a five-star rating and write a review sharing your opinion on the show as it really helps the podcast grow. Thanks so much and I'll see you on the next episode. Whilst the presenter that feature on this podcast endeavour to provide accurate information, it cannot possibly take into account your individual circumstances, and therefore the content on this podcast provided by any of the speakers is not intended as advice in any way for any individual, and should not be a replacement for professional medical or health advice of any nature. Always seek advice regarding your personal situation from a qualified medical professional.